the U.S. government's big bazooka package has passed. But will it be enough? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarandos. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team. What we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's Income Builder Fund, as well as individual solutions for our partners. By sharing these perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of March 30th, 2020, and I honestly can't even recap the week that was. It's getting really hard to keep track of all the market moves and the policy adjustments we've seen. Yeah, and and we'll get to policy in a second, but for today's podcast, I thought it would be helpful to just take a deep breath and reframe the COVID-19 crisis in terms of just three risks. Only three? Well, I think that three big buckets sum it up pretty effectively. Uh There's liquidity risk, there's credit risk, and then there's the health risk of the virus itself. And I think we need to see improvements across all three of those risk categories before we can talk about a meaningful change in investment strategy. Those are pretty big buckets, so I think I'm okay with this. Um, Why don't you kick us off then and start with the first risk? Sure. So the first risk I mentioned is liquidity risk or market functioning risk. By that, I mean disruption from and uncertainty about COVID-19's impact to the U.S. economy has contributed to a repricing across asset classes. Liquidity itself is the opportunity to buy or sell a security at a price. There may be buyers and sellers in the markets, but at times there hasn't been very good prices for those securities, and so prices have been falling. Last week, we talked about liquidity risk easing a little bit. Is that still going on? What's what's up? So the U.S. Federal Reserve and global central banks in general have stepped up really quickly to ease market functioning risk. We're not out of the woods yet. Ripple effects from the policy measures such as freezing mortgage payments will continue to challenge liquidity and market functioning in the coming weeks. But we're seeing those central banks work out the kinks over time. So we're confident that the Fed and and other central banks will be able to keep this under control for the most part. Got it. So they are uh, dusting off playbooks from prior crises, and uh, they seem to have this one this one locked down. What about risk number two? Do we have this one as locked down? Well, we're getting there. So th- this is the real economy risk. Businesses and households are facing a real cash crunch as a result of the COVID-19 shutdown, and central banks can only do so much to address that risk. So the rest is up to fiscal stimulus. And last week, the U.S. government passed a pretty meaningful fiscal stimulus, $2.2 trillion of economic rescue packages, which they're calling the CARES Act. And that bill provides a sizable, and by sizable, I mean 10% of GDP assistance to the U.S. economy. And if you add that the Fed can use some of this package to support the economy as well, it ends up closer to a third of U.S. annual GDP. Wow. So that's pretty uh, sizable stimulus. And I think it's um, on par with or or much more than what we saw in, in the global financial crisis, at least at the immediate onset. Do you think it's going to be enough? 
Our team did a lot of research to show just how much stimulus this really looks like across all the measures announced. And that's maybe a topic for another episode. But the big picture is that we think the stimulus plan is a really, really strong step to help avoid bankruptcies for businesses and households for now. Um, that said, we're keeping a close eye on this space because if the virus impacts last longer than we expect, then we could still see some downside risk for companies and households. And just showcasing how bad this risk could be, last week's jobless claims data released showed a surge of almost 3.3 million new claims, surpassing even the worst of estimates that analysts had. So aid from the U.S. government should help to offset damage to workers and businesses that have that have been laid off, that have been facing trouble for the next several weeks. But if the virus impacts last longer than that, we, then we'd expect to need further measures to offset the heavy economic and human costs that unemployment causes. Okay, okay, okay. So the potential credit crunch or solvency crisis has been saved off for now and with a big emphasis on for now. But we think that it's still very present. Yes, that's exactly it. And and then the other risk, risk number three, is the most important one and why we saved it for last. It's, it's also still very present. Um, that's the health risk, Robert. Do you want to take that one? Yeah. Um, at its core, this is a health crisis. Um, and it's related to human beings, the people that make up a well-functioning economy. You've mentioned the big improvements that we've seen in liquidity and credit for some time. But until the health risk has been passed and we've found a, a solution for the virus, we're not out of the woods. What types of things are you thinking or the team talking about in terms of monitoring a health risk? It's, it's like impossible to know, right? Yeah, it's really difficult to know for sure exactly where we are in terms of this health crisis uh, and what the path forward looks like. In fact, we're seeing a ton of new medical research come out daily, and the research from these epidemiologists and these virologists can often be conflicting with each other, which adds an extra element for how difficult it is to uh, understand this health-bottoming process. Um, it's our team's view that the U.S. is likely to see more bad news in the month of April as the virus spreads. That means more case numbers and, unfortunately, more deaths. Um, to get past this virus's impact and know when we are in the clear or, or where we're in the clear, uh, I think we're going to need to see several big things to address this medical issue. Um, first is diagnostic tools, which we've seen come online. That's a, the ability to rapidly test uh, a patient to see if he has the disease, uh, and it's also a test to see if somebody who had the disease or, or had uh, once had the disease has the antibodies so that they can go back and participate in the economy. The second is any medical treatment uh, that's antivirals um, that can, or, or um, processes that can help uh, alleviate the pressure on the medical system. And then the third is eventually a vaccine. And then finally, we're going to look for a clear plan to get people back to work safely. But we're still pretty far away from all these things. Okay, so it sounds like risk number one, if we were doing a scorecard, risk number one will continue to improve. Risk number two, the credit risk is stable for the time being. And risk number three sounds like we have a long way to go. So then we'll have a truly mixed bag with respect to our view on risk assets. I think that's right. Um, 
you know, our team's very optimistic that technology will get us through this crisis. And I think, well, the medical news and the, the number of cases and, and number of deaths will unfortunately be rising in the United States. I think we also might get bouts of, of positive developments of new technologies and new medical treatments that can help weather the storm. Now it's time for our Portfolio Pause, a segment where we share an investment idea for your portfolio. Today, we're going to focus on general asset allocation guidelines. Clients have asked whether fiscal and monetary support put a floor on valuations across asset classes or, you know, all these policy measures that we've talked about up to this point. Is that enough to be moving back into risk? And for us, the short answer is no. Here is an interesting historical anecdote. The last two-day rally was the largest two-day rally since October 2008, and before that, October 1987. And in October 2008, we saw a rally of 18.5% within six days after several government measures to address the ongoing financial crisis were announced. From that point onwards, however, broad equity indices lost another 33% of value before bottoming in March 2009. Right. And all of it is a way of saying that just because we had some really, really good market days last week, it doesn't mean that there aren't bad days to come. Because just like in those days in 2008, investors are still trying to assess the overall impact of these policy measures compared to the impact of the risk. And that takes time and, and there's a lot of uncertainty around it. So since we won't know the full scope of the virus until people get safely back to work, we can't confidently say that even this really incredible size and scale of policy measures actually eliminate market downside risk. Yeah, and policy measures should be sufficient to offset some or most of the virus's containment measures so far. But if the virus or the mitigation strategies prove more durable than what the market is expecting, then markets could still experience significant downside. Yeah, and we think that the market's expecting another six, eight weeks of containment measures. And so, you know, the the idea that those containment measures could last longer is, is very possible. We hope it's not true, but it's very possible. And so as a result of that, we remain pretty cautiously postured, still underweight equities and credit because we perceive the pre-existing and COVID-19-driven vulnerabilities to risk assets as, as being present. So we're working to capitalize on market volatility by selling into big rallies and, and buying when sell-offs move faster than available data justifies, but in general, not, uh, not moving more optimistic yet. That's right. Last week felt a bit calmer in the market, not because there was less volatility, but because most of the volatility went to the upside. What do we have to look forward to this week, LG? COVID, 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 COVID. <laughs> I think I think that the that that's going to be what we have to look forward to for quite some time. Uh, the policy measures that we saw in the U.S. last week are likely to help stave off the worst case economic outcome for the next. Again, I mentioned six or eight weeks, but that means that the incoming news for the next couple of weeks is likely to be grim. We're going to see case volumes rise and the geographic spread intensify, but we've already gotten a lot of the positive news from that policy stimulus. So investors really have to keep their eyes open. I couldn't agree more with that statement. And, and as I mentioned before, I think that, you know, markets will also be aptly looking for 
positive developments on the technology and medical research side. Um, but it's likely to get a little bit worse over the next couple of weeks. Well, I'm looking forward to some of the amazing, amazing things that, that the human mind can do when uh, things look bad. That's it for today for the podcast. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, hit us up on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at nylinvestments.com slash blog. Until then, I'm Robert Sarenbeth. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. We look forward to hearing from you. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamons, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York, 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.